There are approximately 70,000 people worldwide living with CF, also known as cystic fibrosis. There's a genetic condition that causes a buildup of mucus in the lungs, digestive system, and reproductive organs. American woman Kayla Haber Takiyama is just one of the thousands of people living with the condition. During the 1980s, most people living with CF did not live beyond their teens. Now in her 30s, Kayla and her husband Brian Takiyama understand the value of time. This is their story for the Healthy Today podcast. On October 20, 2015, Kayla, you received your first double lung transplant. What was going through your mind when you got that call? I was in shock, honestly. I received the call at 1.30 a.m. I had been on the waiting list for 18 months already, and I was basically keeping my phone on loud at all times, face up, so I would never miss a call. I also had set up a Google phone so that if they called the number, it would call everybody in my family. So we would not miss the call. That night, for whatever reason, I actually didn't wake up to my phone ringing. The hospital called my mom as a contact. And my mom heard the phone ring in the middle of the night. Of course, being a mother, she was like, let me pick this up, who would be calling me? It was the heart and lung transplant team at Stanford. She picked up the phone, they asked to speak to me, and she busted my door down. She literally busted my door down to running into my room and handed me the phone. And I knew that it was the moment. I knew that obviously my mom would not do that for any type of call. I was in shock. I was elated. I was just grateful, honestly. I was ready to get to the hospital. I was ready for my life to change. I had a lot of people around me that were helping me. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of support. My mom and my brother were my caregivers for many years. My mom moved to San Francisco in order to care for me. And a few years later, my brother moved to care for me as well because I was unable to care for myself at that point. They had been helping manage all of my medication. They had been helping organize them, setting them up. I knew how to care for myself. I actually wasn't in the position health-wise to be able to do it. I was very weak, malnourished, and sleepy. They took that burden off of me so that I could enjoy other aspects of life without putting energy into those ones. That was extremely generous of them to do that. When I met Brian, and we ended up moving in together about four months after we met, and at that point, I was still healthy enough to care for myself but Brian wanted to learn everything and he took that on as well and that was something when I met Brian I was fully transparent about my disease and he knew going into our relationship that this relationship was going to be a partnership in not only life but in managing my health and so he really studied on everything researched everything looked online modeled after my brother and my mom and myself And after my second double lung transplant, that's when I really took on managing everything myself. And I'm grateful to Brian because he was there by my side helping me do that. So he was overlooking and helping and making sure to push me when I was, when I needed to be pushed to take on more independence. But if I was feeling tired, he was also there to help. And that's still the case. Now I manage mostly everything myself. My 
husband is manages insurance and things like that, which he does a lot better than I could ever do. But if I need help, he's there and he still is up to date with medications. He comes to every appointment. He comes to every hospitalization. And I am super lucky to have a partner like that. Brian, where does this really caring nature come from? I grew up in a very solid household. Like my dad and my mom, they're both two phenomenal individuals. And I think what they would say is they helped provide me the building blocks to be as good of a person as I could be as I am today. They are very much for the ones that showed me like the key and core characteristics to being a good human. Then when I met Kayla and then felt her zeal for life and how much hardship she'd gone through and how much perseverance and grit it took to get through it and still so optimistic and so excited and hungry to experience all the world has just married that responsibility and good character that my parents helped grow for me with the drive to do everything in my power to help keep Kayla alive and give her the best life that she did that I could be able to provide her. Also, Brian studied in strategy and logistics. I think that's helped him because he's been able to make charts on to help and organize medications and structure my health in a way that's kept me healthier. When we travel, he's able to make charts for hydration and able to make logs for when to reorder medications. He's extremely good at logistical management, which has helped us to travel as well. It's great to hear you say it's positive light because I know you despise it while it's happening. Kayla <laughs> hates it when I say this because I've been saying it a lot lately, but I feel like the key to being good at anything is consistency and having trackers to manage things is just the surefire way to ensure that you actually maintain consistency and you stay on track. Building the confidence to be able to speak one-on-one with your care teams is extremely important because that allows you to advocate a lot better for yourself. One of the things that I pride myself on is really doing research and up to keeping up to date with my diseases and chronic illnesses. If I'm presented a treatment plan, I'm going to question that and question the other forms and options that could be available to me and then make the best decision. I don't want to say that I don't trust my care teams because I trust them with my life, obviously. I take the responsibility in the fact that I'm making the decisions for myself and I need to question everything and have the confidence to speak to them that way in a respectful manner, of course, but also just making sure that it's not the first thought that comes to mind that I'm going to be treated with. Kayla, was there anything that your friends were doing that you wished you could have been a part of? I was hospitalized about two plus weeks out of each month. In my first home was the hospital and the nurses and my care teams. And my second home was my actual home. And that continued for so many years of my life. Brian and I lived inpatient for six months waiting for my second double lung transplant. The whole time I wanted to do similar things to my peers. One of the things that I still feel like I'm behind in is a career because I really didn't have the opportunity to build a career and the skills that maybe I wish I had. It's not too late, of course, but I do, I wish that I could have been more, wish that I could travel and see the world. That's part of the reason why we're doing it now is because I had always aspired to that. When I met Brian, he had done so much traveling and 
he always talked about all the experiences that he had submerging himself into the cultures around the world. I found that fascinating and really wanted to be a part of that. You mentioned that you felt behind in your career. In fact, I did go to culinary school. I graduated from culinary school in 2010. And it took me a bit longer. I would take leaves of absences to be impatient and then come back. I did graduate and I had worked in a few kitchens. I discovered quickly it wasn't a good environment for me. It was my passion. I loved it. I had a lot of drive for it. But the environment of being in hot kitchen to a freezer and back and forth and the stress of it all had caused pneumonias and weight loss. And really, I didn't have time to put my health first. So. It wasn't a great environment for me. If I could go back in time, there's so many things that I wish I could do, but my number one thing would definitely have been medicine. I love medicine and I have to assume that's because I'm in this position that I am in. I really do have drive that I wish I could have been. When I was younger, I actually wanted to be a plastic surgeon and do reconstructive surgery for birth defects and burns and things like that. That's probably the thing that I would do. It's you, Brian. What career did you want to pursue when you were younger? When I was younger, I'm not quite sure. I was always incredibly motivated by money. It doesn't sound great when I say that out loud, but I remember when I was 10, I had a conversation with my dad and I was like, hey, I want to buy this thing. And can you get me this thing? He says, when you make your own money, you can get that for yourself. I just wanted to do everything I could to like build as much financial wealth as I possibly could. I think my entire drive throughout middle school, high school, and then college was trying to position myself to get just a highest paying job. I would say when I was younger, I was not probably in the right mindset. I think today, what I'm very much so interested in is figuring out a way to intersect things that I'm passionate with and for with ways to monetize them and enable that sort of freedom for other people. It's pretty ambiguous when I say that, but I think that that's something that I'm very focused on. It's always coincidental and serendipitous that your logistics came in handy in Kayla's care. That's a fantastic way to think about it and put it, yes. My academic background was not necessarily for my professional career, but to help my personal life. I've been reading the book, The Age of Empty, by the Wild, who's a primatologist. The book explores how bonobo apes, some of the most altruistic, kind, and caring of primates, and its implications for humans. Kayla, what have the amazing people in your life shown, demonstrated, or taught you about what it means to be a good person? Wow. I think being a good person comes down to the way you treat others and or the relationships that you have. That's my friends and family who have really taken the time to be bedside next to me and helped me throughout the hardest times of my life. I would say the best person I know is my mom. She's my hero. She saved my life so many times. She's been with me through everything, all of the hard times. And she's been the person that has taught me how to be kind in the way that is just all, I don't know how to describe it. Like, her whole being has been dedicated to helping me. She's just been there during the toughest times where she's held my hand and shown me not to be ashamed or embarrassed or scared or 
anything like that. She's just told me to just be myself. It's okay. You're going to get better. You're going to be out there. She's motivated me. There's times that I've been depressed and down and not wanted to continue. She's always been the person to push me and tell me that there's better things ahead. I'm grateful for that because I am truly building the life we want. We have the freedom to do that now. And that is something. We have a remarkable village that's supporting us. It's amazing. How did you and your husband, Brian, first meet? We met at a wedding. We met at the bar and I turned around and he said, hi. I turned around and she said, hi. We began talking. At the time, I wasn't looking for a relationship. Either was Brian. I was just so honest and upfront. I think that was because I was in a place where I had just gone through a medical trauma. I was focused on my family and my recovery. I wasn't focused on my love life and relationships, romantic relationships. I was upfront, honest, and we spoke and we left each other. We parted ways and we were dancing with our friends and having a good time. Towards the end of the wedding, Brian approached me and asked if I wanted to continue to go out with him and his friend. I was like, I'm okay because this is all my childhood friends at the wedding and I want to have a good time with my girlfriends. I think we're gonna go talk in the room and just hang out. I was like, but if you want, you can ask them. If they say yes, then I'll, of course I'll go. He approaches my only one single friend and asked if she wanted to go out with him and all his fraternity brothers. Of course she's yes. We end up going out and basically Brian and I were on a date. We were just speaking the whole time, walking down the street. We weren't even oblivious to everybody else because we were just so involved with one another. That night I had caught the bouquet and I had a tradition of drying out flowers for brides if I caught the bouquet and then giving it back to the bride so she could keep it. I had the bouquet with me and I was carrying it. We sat at a fire with our friends. I set it down, me and my girlfriends left and went to go eat. I left the bouquet there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I left the bouquet. I really want to get it back. My friend says, hey, why don't you just text that guy that you were talking to and ask him to bring it back? We're just two blocks away. I'm like, okay, wait, what was his name again? <laughs> I couldn't remember Brian's name. So we're all trying to think about it. And she goes, I think it's Ryan, like R-Y-A-N. I'm like, okay, yeah, I think he might've followed me on social media, so let me go check. We're like scrolling through trying to find him. And we see a Brian and we're like, wait, that might be it. We click on him and we notice it might look like him in the picture. I message Brian, I said, hey, hey you might have taken the bouquet back. I'll get you french fries and a soda or something. When he brought back the bouquet, he said... I remember walking back. So the entire time, whenever I was not near Kayla, I was talking to my friends. I don't know what it is about this girl. I've never met anybody like her. It's just, I just kept saying she's, she's something different. She's something special. So much so that they were getting very annoyed with me. But when this opportunity came, I walked the bouquet back. And I remember seeing me outside the jack of the box looking in. And she was filling up her soda. I was a bit speechless at the time and kind of blacked out, walked in there and handed her the bouquet and said, this is going to be a, a story we tell our friends at our wedding someday that I brought you flowers and a jack-in-the-box at three in the morning. I kind of laughed it off being like, I don't know about that. I left and I ended up 
messaging him again on socials. And when I got back to San Francisco, he had sent me an entire pot of succulents and he obviously got my address from the wedding, the bride, Epson groom. And we were texting for a month and then we saw each other in person when he came to visit. This is old school dating. No, no ads. ads. Maybe except for scrolling through social media. True. Instagram True. was critical, it turns out. What do you love about each other now that didn't really realize so much at the beginning? Something that I admire about Kayla today that I didn't necessarily know would be something that I admired about her back when we first met is if you think about like the stages of life that we've gone through, she was pretty healthy, slash recovering when we first met. And then shortly after, went into rejection, got past that, and then shortly after that, went into chronic rejection and spent a year and a half either super sick or in recovery. Since then, it's been like a crash course on like going from being a really, really sick person with care team to being someone that has the capacity, the fully functioning adult that, as she mentioned earlier in the call, that she wants to be. Her desire to be fully independent and own every aspect or be able to own every aspect of her life is something that I absolutely admire. We live in a van. We've been driving around the continent for a year and a half now. And there's a lot of things that break in the van all the time. There's a lot of things that require you jigging it specifically perfectly. And just a couple days ago, she's like, hey, can you teach me all of that? Just in case you're not here or not around, I want to be able to do that. What about for you, Caleb? What are some of these things that you admire about Brian now that you didn't notice so much at the beginning? Brian's taught me a different level of love that I didn't know. I feel like Brian's really been a partner for me. And in my other relationships, I've had supportive people, but they haven't taken on everything that Brian has from day one. And we have had very open conversations about our future, every step of our relationship, about the if this goes well, if this doesn't go well, all of our different like options for future and stuff. And he's really taught me how a relationship should be versus how I thought a relationship should be. So he's been equal partners in everything. He's pushed me so much. I've, like I said before, I've been fortunate to have a mother who would take on cleaning and cooking and laundry and everything for me to take that burden off of my hands and not spend my energy into it. And Brian, as I've gotten healthier, has been like, no, I'm not gonna do that for you. You're healthy, you need to do it. You can't be lazy, go ahead, do it. And he's pushed me, but he always does it with me, if that makes sense. I have a goal this year that I wanna get in better shape. I wanna gain muscle. I wanna feel more confident in my skin now. And um, he's okay, and he's doing it with me. Every day he's doing the yoga with me. He's pushing me to work out things like that, eat healthier. So it's always been us together. It's never been me on my own journey since meeting him. And while I've had my mom and my brother, it's a different level. It's an unexplainable love that I know I am lucky to have and that I know that a lot of people don't receive in their lives. But I think it'd be something really special to have that level of love and care. Yeah. But you're, you're tearing up now. It's happy cheer. I just feel lucky. <laughs> Brian, how much care do you offer? How do you draw that line? I'm going to help 
huge challenge. And sometimes I overshoot it and sometimes I undershoot. I feel like it's always like a trial and error sort of, sort of thing. Like I'm happy to do 100% of things, but I don't, either of us will continue to grow if we, if that's like the zone that we stay in. And some days Kayla's feeling really well and can do 100% of things. And some days she's got terrible headaches and slept really poorly and doesn't feel well and shouldn't have to do anything. So it's always trying to like jaw or get a feel for the way it is and on a day by day basis. I guess normal living as far as things that require additional work, like dealing with insurances or scheduling appointments or things along those lines, basically anything that I'd hate doing with an insane passion, I'm never going to have her do. So calling it a specialty pharmacy or calling CVS specialty pharmacy or calling any pharmacy, it's the worst experience ever. And I don't want her to have to worry about that. So like those sorts of things are things that I'll just forever own, but everything else, it's just testing the waters and over time kale will begin to own entirely or it'll be something that will just jump back and forth between us we've also come to a really great space right now in my health where it's been stable enough to have our roles in taking care of like prioritizing my health and keeping me healthy so as brian said like he'll order all of my medications but at this point i organize all the medications and then i tell him like hey i need to order this because i'm low on this so it, it's, again, the partnership that I'm talking about. It's like we're each putting the effort into it to make sure that it happens. Yeah. You fully own the entire process and everything about it. I'm very much the inventory manager as well as the reminder application. Again, it comes to the Excel sheets and all of that stuff that he's professionally good at and brings to our personal life. Feels like you have had to become experts in cystic fibrosis. Do you feel that way, that you both have had to become experts? I think that I've had to become experts in my disease because cystic fibrosis is so diverse. There's over 1,700 mutations. Every person, even with the same mutations, can have worse pulmonary, worse GI, worse sinuses, whatever it is. Everybody has their own challenges. And though I may be knowledgeable about some things, I know that there's other people who may have the same struggles in a totally different way. And so I can't say that I'm an expert in cystic fibrosis, but I can say I'm an expert in my own disease, the way that my cystic fibrosis works, the way that my organ transplant works and GI system works, and everything that is needed to keep me healthy. And I know the things that if I don't do them, I'm guaranteed a hospitalization. I am guaranteed struggles. I'm guaranteed suffering. So there's things sometimes that I may not want to do, but I need to do. And I have my husband to make sure that I do it if I'm not doing it myself. But I'm at a stage where I am really trying to be independent, as Brian said, and not have to have him be the caregiver, but instead be the husband. And that's also a hard transition sometimes. I'd second that. I'm definitely not an expert in NCF, but I think I, I'm pretty good at understanding what Kayla's, how Kayla's feeling at any given point in time based on the sounds her stomach's making or the amount of water I see her drinking or like the way she's feeling in the morning. I can tell what night's going to be like those. But I've gotten very good at understanding how she's feeling and when she needs her and when she's not. Feeling. I have a really good memory as far as like the medical treatments go. I can go in there and push doctors and organize treatments along those lines based on just sheer repetition of having to do these things. Also, Brian keeps up with news 
all the time. So he will be the one who's finding trials even before I am, finding medications and treatments that can potentially be used instead of something else I'm doing. He is really good at finding the info, forwarding it to me. I always make sure that I'm reading it as well and we're discussing our takes on it because sometimes you can read the same article and get totally different things from it. That's why two brains, four ears, four eyes are all better than you. Two people are better than Yes. <laughs> lots of traveling around the US, lots of traveling around Europe. What goes into planning a trip around the US? As far as ensuring that we stay up to date on all of the meds that Kayla needs at any given time, it's just making sure that we know the inventory levels and when we need to order them. Then planning a couple weeks ahead of when we'll be in the general vicinity of a CVS or a friend's address and having the meds shipped. Each med has a category. It's going to be like your regular pharmacy, your specialty pharmacy, your distributor, or your diabetes distributor, or your other miscellaneous medical supplies distributor. You need to know base your inventory of each of those, when you're going to run out, and then plan a few weeks ahead to ship. There's also things like blood tests that I need to do every week or every month. It ships based on my levels. I also have to make sure that I'm close to sort of LabCorp that I can receive blood work at. And then the blood work, I actually keep a printed standing orders of all the tests I need. I walk into a lab, I make an appointment, walk in, give it to them. My information, all my doctor's information is on that and it's faxed directly to them, as well as I can look in the portal and they haven't received the test results and I have, I can send it to them ahead of time or message them. One of my responsibilities, Brian sometimes does as well, is staying in constant contact with my care team. I think that relationship with my care team is what keeps me healthy. I talk to them a lot, probably more than they want me to talk to them. I message about everything, every little suspicion, every little thing. If we need refills or I'm not feeling well or like that, I'm messaging my care teams. I also have my specialty teams. We make sure that we've everything before we leave and we have backup plans. The backup plans are some of the most important because we want to make sure we have A, B, C, D, E, F, G backup plans. It's more often than not. We use them. <laughs> we really do. Tell, what were some of the places that you went to that you really enjoyed? Oh, we love Barcelona. We want to live in, the, in Barcelona for an extended period of time at some point. We love Cinque Terre. We loved... I was a huge fan of Lisbon as well. I know it wasn't really high on the rest of it. Lauren, every place we go, we follow up with for different reasons. You're walking down a block and next to you, you're next to a 500-year-old building that has insane history. Every museum is spectacular. In fact, just amazing works of art. The food is incredible. Oh, the food. Every site. Kayla, tell me about the food. The pastries were incredible and the food is so rich. It's like you could just go anywhere. You could walk in any place and I'm going to give it a five out of five on Google based on the food. It's You're just, not that generous. Kind of four and a half, but it, it's just so good. The flavors are there. They're present. You can taste the individual flavors in the food. We did some spectacular dinners while we were there. We celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary. We did a little photo shoot to remember our anniversary with the Eiffel Tower. We went to Michelin Star Restaurant for our anniversary. We really flourished on this one and we've really enjoyed it. We're currently living in Mexico. Mexico. 
we're here for the next four to five months. Very questionable. It depends on my health. One of the previous guests on the blog was Tiffany Rich, who has cystic fibrosis. She got to live with her greatest dreams of meeting Taylor Swift. Kayla, what do you have in your bucket list? We've done so many bucket list things just the last year. We went skydiving, snowboarding, paragliding. We summited a mountain. We've done a Via Ferrata. We've gone to Europe, hiked a glacier, jumped in a blue pool. Norgold. What are some other? We went to Hawaii. Hawaii's always on my list. But what other ones do you love? I feel like I've heard you say a buckless item of yours is to give a TED Talk. Oh, yeah. I would love to do a TED Talk. Yeah. I want to go to all seven continents. Any celebrities that you'd love to meet or anyone throughout history that you'd like to meet? Sorry not to speak on Kayla's behalf. There's somebody that I know you would absolutely love to meet in person and have a conversation with. And she wrote a book that you read this year that you fell in love with. I was just going to mention this book. I was like, another book that you could add to your list is Between Two Kingdoms, talking about the two kingdoms. She's the ability to articulate nuanced emotions better than anybody, better than I've ever been able to think about my own emotions and better than anybody that I've ever met. So she's remarkable in that regard. Are there any parallels between what she's written about cancer and your life living with cystic fibrosis? Definitely, of course. I've encountered death more times than I can really count. I've been called a cat before because I just have life after life. Knock on wood. There's a lot of lessons with relationship to self and to others in that book that have to do with sometimes you're angry, sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're happy. While Seleka had cancer, had has cancer, and Kayla has CF and gone through organ transplant. Those are their individual health situations. The way that Salek talks about health is more in the general concept of those kingdoms. The emotions that you go through when you are very sick and you are in that kingdom of the well, the kingdom of the sick, and then everything in between. But I want to say that there are a lot of parallels between just about everything that's written in that book to what Kayla and I have gone through and what Kayla went through beforehand, from dealing with family to dealing with significant others, to being stuck in a hospital room or bedridden while all your friends are going out, to yeah. having to have complicated conversations with doctors because you don't agree with what they're doing based on what you read or what other people have gone through. A lot of things along those lines, the scenarios and situations have many parallels. Her and I are liked by the fact that she does do a lot of research about her health and she's really involved in all her choices. That parallels there. And then the fact that when I got extremely ill, I was already battling sick. When I went into end-stage lung disease, I was on the up and up by working and being independent. She had just moved to Europe and she was starting her life and then had to quickly go home and start treatment. That's what happened to me. I was cut off from career. I was cut off from going out with friends. All of that just suddenly stopped. And I had to grow up and shift all of my focus onto my health in order to survive. And those conversations, like Brian said, especially with your significant other, when you're in your 20s, you're supposed to be having fun and in love and enjoying the moment. Instead, you're talking about, are we going to have kids someday? Are we going to be in hospice? What are our end life decisions? This is what I want to happen. If I can't talk for myself, please, 
this is what I want to go through. It's tough conversations, but I feel like if you have the right partner, they're willing to to sit there and have them as hard as they are. And you come to an agreement. Sometimes actually we don't come to an agreement, which is pretty rare, but sometimes we don't. The great thing is Brian really respects me and he will put my decision on about my health first. We'll talk it out. How has cystic fibrosis changed the way that you've thought about time, Kayla? I feel like everything is temporary in life. The sickness, the healthy, all of those times are temporary. Pain is temporary. I've learned to deal with things as they come and be extremely adaptable. That relation to time is that nothing lasts forever. Life doesn't last forever. This health doesn't last forever. That's why Brian and I are traveling like we are and taking advantage of this health because we know that sooner or later this won't last. We're gonna have to go back into fight mode. We're gonna have to go back into the hospitals. We're gonna have to receive treatment and our life is gonna change again. We're gonna have to be in one place whether we like it or not and focus on survival. Hopefully that produces a successful outcome, but if it doesn't, we wanna make sure that we're living our life to the fullest and we're not regretting not doing something. That's our focus right now, but that causes us not to relate sometimes to people our age because people our age right now are focused on launching careers, buying homes, having babies, and family lifestyle. While we support that and we're extremely happy for our friends, we're just not there. Maybe we'll be there someday and maybe we won't. We spent so much time in the hospital that we want to flap our wings and fly and discover things and experience all that we can. There's this uh, principle from from Stoic philosophy called memento mori. This idea that remembering that time is impermanent. It's just the life that we have and that we really want to make the most of it. It's because we've already done some of that already. We think about and talk about time a lot. And we, and we I think... Our brushes with mortality, Kayla's brushes with mortality over the past five, past decade have made us very much aware that to, to the acute situation, who knows how much time is there and that we have. So we might as well, as she was saying, and you said it wonderfully, do as much as we can now to enjoy it because who knows what lays ahead. Have a few questions for you. What does living healthy today mean to both of you? I just want to give Brian the best life and happiness that he can have because I know one day I'm going to be gone. I want him to have like wonderful memories of being loved and cherished and respected by somebody. I hope he brings that into his next relationship and the memories are positive. And I hope that with my family as well. That's my priority right now. I have two responses. One is the pragmatic response that I would give is living today means that we should have more healthy things tomorrow. Eating right, exercising right, doing our medical regimen right, doing as much as we can to be the healthiest us today it should mean that we have more tomorrows. That's the pragmatic answer. Consistency. Consistency, if you will. The more, I guess, me answer that I think about a lot that has helped to drive us to the lifestyle that we're living today is we don't know how much time we have, so let's go live it. Let's go drive around the continent or we're 18 months in right now let's see every national park every single
no reason not to. We'll, we'll figure out how to do it along the way. There's no reason not to. If you want to sell the van, let's go live in an Airbnb in every city in, in Europe the next year after that. There's no, again, there's no, we have valuable time, the most valuable time today because we don't know about tomorrow. Let's take advantage of it. Let's do everything we thought we never wanted to. There's no reason. And we have temporary freedom right now. We have this gift of freedom to make our own decisions and form our lives the way we want to. And that freedom is something that is not going to be a constant for us. One day that freedom is going to be taken. And we want to use that freedom to the best that we can and use all of it, the full cup. Imagine that you are in a room with your 18-year-old selves. What would you tell them? I know right away. I would tell my 18-year-old self to get a job that I could do online, remote, so that I can support myself, whether I'm in a hospital room or not, or traveling or not. I would tell my 18-year-old self to put my health as one and not to focus so much on social life and having fun because while that's amazing, I'm gonna, health is number one. If I would have properly taken care of myself probably a lot sooner, I probably could have delayed transplant. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but I could have possibly delayed transplant a little bit, which meant that I possibly could have got gene modulators, which means I possibly could have not had a transplant which means possibly I could be as healthy as I am now without the organ transplant and organ rejection. And honestly, experiencing the trauma that I've experienced emotionally and physically. And I know that's all hypothetical, but... The question is, yeah. the professor I had when I was a junior in college, she had a mantra that I've adopted. It's I know rumination. Always reflect, never ruminate. Make sure you think about every decision that you do and be certain when you make the decision that it checks all of your boxes and then move forward. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay to check your boxes, learn from it. If it does work out, you check all your boxes, learn from it. So like, I'm pretty satisfied with the vast majority of the decisions that I've made since I'm 18. So I think I would tell myself as an 18-year-old, just keep your head down, keep it forward, keep working as hard as you want to, and things will fall into place. And invest in Bitcoin. No financial advice. <laughs> I'm your host, Jared Talavera, and you've been listening to the Healthy Today podcast. Oh, we didn't get to get to the story behind your wedding day. Would you be able to share the story behind how you got married? Yeah, so I was in chronic rejection, and my healthcare team that I was being seen, that hospital had told me that I needed a second double lung transplant to survive. And we were working towards getting listed for that double lung transplant. My decline in rejection was extremely fast. And so it was so fast that I got to a point where they said, we can no longer give you a second double lung transplant. You're no longer a candidate because you're too ill now. And you have a lot of red flags. So, you know, you're not a candidate. So... They told us that and we went in for something called a Hail Mary, which was basically just doing all the tests we could to find if there was anything else that we were missing to boost my health to be able to get a transplant with that hospital. And they came back and said, we're putting you on hospice. This is the second time they put me on hospice. Treat you. Go home. We're going to give you treatments for symptoms to make you comfortable 
don't come back unless your family can no longer help you in the dying process. It's too overwhelming or something like that. So they said goodbye and we went home and we researched all of the homes we could in Hawaii. We wanted my whole family to come with us. And we thought I probably don't have that much time left. To be honest, I was really sick. And we thought we'd move there, live the rest of our lives there, and I could pass away. And that would be a happy time for us. And so that was our decision. And we decided to look everything up. And then as we were going to bed, I was thinking more. And I just felt, no, there's no way that we can give up. There's just, it's not in me. I can't do it. I can't stop fighting. I'm going to fight until I die. And for me, the fight comes from staying in my family members' lives and my loved ones' lives. It's possibly selfish, but it's a motivator for me to share these experiences and memories. And so I went back to Brian and I told him, no, we're not giving up. I've been fighting my whole life. We're going to fight this. And that's when we remembered that we were actually having an engagement party that weekend. And so we had six days until our engagement party We had all these people flying out from Ohio and across the country. So we really couldn't cancel. And my thought at that point was like, I don't know if we married anymore because Brian was 25 and I didn't really want to make him a widow at 25. And I didn't want him to have to explain that he was previously married to his next relationships and all of that stuff. But Brian was, he's, no, we're going to get married. I really want to. And so we had received a message from a very kind woman who we have a close relationship with now who had been following me on social media and we had been talking back and forth. And she actually just serendipitously sent a video of her home and said, hey, when you guys get married, my home is open to you to use as a venue. And so we... How about next week? Oh, we got that message and we called her and we're like, <laughs> hey, we're going to get married. We're just going to go to City Hall, get married, and then surprise our guests saying that we got married. This is actually just like a celebration of it instead of an engagement party. And she, there's no way I'm letting you get married at City Hall. We're going to throw a wedding. We're going to do it. So that night I looked up wedding planners and florists and started messaging everybody on social media for help. And the next morning, we had a wedding planner, a florist, a DJ, videographer. We had everybody just reaching out to donate their time and resources to us. And we went to the house. We threw a wedding in six days. It was the easiest decisions. It was, this is available. Okay, sure. With this amount of time, we can't get a caterer. I mean, she... We thought about a food truck. We're like, oh, we'd love an In-N-Out food truck. That's not available. How about a taco truck? Okay. Everything was just like, sure, sure. I got dressed in 45 minutes, anything that fit me. I said, if it fits me and I could take it home today, I'm trying it on. Otherwise, don't even show it to me because I don't want to like anything that I can't take home. And so we did everything. We were determined and we got married in six days with 250 guests. It was extremely emotional. We had no idea whether I was going to live or not. And it's one of the best days of my life. Likewise. And it goes back to that, the village comment earlier, privileged to have a really strong village. I can't send out the SOS on fight the brave, Sam, hey, can anybody help with this wedding? And literally the world responded. It was a remarkable experience. And again, because we didn't know if Kayla was going to live or not, like being able to have that sort of memory cemented in all of our friends and family forever, 
I was mad. It's a really fast turnaround. From originally an engagement. An engagement party we forgot about. Like, that's an important concept. Because of all the craziness that we want we're six days before and we didn't have the engagement party planned. We forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, we had nothing planned, but yeah. yeah. Do you have any questions for me? Now, the floor is yours. I'm open to you. Anything about it's about podcasts or anything about me, your call. Your 18-year-old self. That's the first time someone's ever asked me that question. Never really thought about it until now. I would say invest into relationships. Invest into people. You're doing it now. My question is going to be around what keeps you moving forward to do this sort of podcast. It's incredible that you dedicate this much time to have the interview. Like we're on about an hour and a half now. The editing is going to be more hours. And publishing your content plan is going to be many more hours. What keeps me motivated to keep doing this is when I studied the Master of Public Health degree in 2014, one of the things I learned was if you want to encourage people to live it, to do it here, it's really just sharing people's stories. Uh, people can take those lessons in the same way that person would select a story. There's people all around this world who go through something. And it's when you know that there are other people too that are going through something similar that you feel that can rot a lot more connected people if your fellow humans on this planet that we call. That's an amazing answer that I think is extremely true. I have to say, Jared, you're a fantastic interviewer. You ask great questions. You research. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Brian and Caleb. Enjoy the rest of you all. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Bye.